You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. From time to time, we I'll step away from our book study. We've been in the book of Mark since the church started. We're in chapter 7. We're taking our time just digging in and diving into what God has for us. But from time to time, we'll step away from our book study, and I'll teach on something different. And you've, um, you've seen me do this with when it comes to holidays, whether it's Easter or Christmas. You'll see me step away from the book of Mark. Or back in January, we did this little series or this little one that went off called This Is Reality, and it was an attempt to just share who God's made us to be as reality, what makes reality reality, some distinctive, some DNA, um, what we really feel like the Lord is leading us to. And especially during this first year as a church, every once in a while, I want to take a Sunday and just communicate and teach on some of like our core values, like what we really stand upon and what we feel. Thank you the wind. I get really hot. I don't know if you noticed that. I sweat a lot. And so I have these fans that (laughs) dual powered fans just on me. So that was that little wind noise in my mic. Thank you, John. But um, anyway, uh, from time to time, I'll take a Sunday and kind of just teach on this value, whether it's prayer or worship or community or mission, things that are a huge part, a foundational part of our DNA as reality so that not only can we understand why we do what we do, but so that we can kind of all be unified in why we do those things instead of like, well, you know, when Sunday happens, I just worship this way and they have communion on the sides every Sunday for this reason. But the purpose is to kind of just unify us and to kind of communicate to you guys why we do what we do. And so today I'm going to teach on community on the why and how we should gather as the local expression of God's church. And mainly I'm doing this kind of in the season of our church that we're in. You know, post-Easter, right after um, God just kind of moved radically, brought new people, God did some, some radical deep work. And as kind of this new community is forming, um, I wanted to communicate what we see in Scripture as as why community is so critical and important and necessary to the health of a believer and to the health of a church, and really to communicate why we do what we do, and also cast some vision for what is ahead for us as reality. And um, a precursor is this is not an exhaustive teaching on community or the church, there's so much more that I wanted to kind of add in, but rather it's meant to be like a brief look into what scripture says about community in the church and then connect it to what we're doing. Like how does scripture, how do we apply scripture to our church in the large and small gatherings? How do we do community well according to scripture um, to the glory of God? And so the text that I want to lead us in or lead us out of is going to be from Acts 2. Acts 2, 42 through 47. So if you do have a Bible, you can open there. I'm going to be teaching out of the New Living Translation as uh, have been the book of Mark. Um, we do have Bibles as you walk in. So next time, or if you want to walk back there now, you can grab a Bible. Or if someone next to you has one, they can share. Um, but as always, our key text uh, is going to be up on the PowerPoint for you. But what Acts 2 does 
is it gives us a framework or a description of what the church is to look like, right? This is a, a view in, a picture into the early church, the start of what we now, what we now do on, on, on Sundays. But this text will give us some framework and a description for uh, our teaching this morning. So why don't you read with me Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. It says this, it says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to pray. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miracles, miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for who you are and what you've done. And we thank you, Lord, that we get to be a part of what you're doing in a real tangible new way here at Reality. And we understand, Lord, that this is just a small local expression of what you're doing around the world in your church. And we want to just first and foremost recognize the fact that you are the one that is building your church. You're the one that said that I would build my church and the gates of hell would not prevail. God, we recognize you as our senior pastor, as the head of the church, on our cornerstone of what we build any of this community on. We build it upon Jesus for your glory and your namesake. And Lord, today, as we dig into your word, as we look into the early church and in other parts of your word, we ask, Lord, that you would not only equip us and give us understanding of why we as a church meet, why we would, we would meet in smaller groups and larger groups. Would you give us not only an understanding for that, Lord, but we ask, God, that you would help us to apply it, help us to understand our role in it, how we are to fit into your new community, this redeemed gospel-centered community that you've set forth for us by the power of your spirit. Help us to understand our part as the body of Christ, how we are to be a part and, and minister to one another, how we're to engage and devote ourselves to these things just as um, some of the first believers did. And so would you, would you help us to do that, Lord? We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So I don't know if you've read the book of Acts, but if you haven't, you absolutely need to. If you haven't in a long time, you should reread it. And the reason why the book of Acts is, is great, is, is so wonderful, is because it details like the acts of the apostles, the, the acts of some of the first you know, believers after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension to heaven, after he left this earth and joined the Father back in heaven, the acts at the book of Acts, are the acts of the apostles or the disciples, and they recount what they do after Jesus 
left them with the Holy Spirit and said, go, I'm leaving, the Holy Spirit's here, go for it. Right, all these, these rough and tumble fishermen from Galilee, all the, the men and women that were called unto God, that were saved, that were empowered by the Spirit, they now go and they're used by God in different contexts. Should I switch this? No problem. I don't really need a mic if you haven't noticed loud enough, but it's more for like the podcast if you miss church, if you want to just listen to it later. But it's not actually, you can hear my voice. Um, I'm able to do that. But what's neat about the book of Acts is that it shows us the firsthand account of God's people being empowered by the Holy Spirit and being, quote unquote, the church. Right? When we say the church, it's God's people gathered around Jesus. And in the book of Acts, it starts out with Jesus saying, like, I'm out. I'm going to leave you, but I'm leaving you someone better. It's the Holy Spirit. And don't do anything before you receive the Holy Spirit. But once you receive the Holy Spirit, go to the ends of the earth for me, and I'll always be with you. I mean, it's this radical charge and commission. And then we see early in the book of Acts, the upper room, Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit falls upon the church. Right, 120 people are gathered in this upper room for a prayer meeting and they're seeking God and the Holy Spirit falls on them and they're empowered and they just go for it. And it's the most, one of the most encouraging books that I believe that we can read because it's a great blueprint for us to follow. Like as the church on mission we have the same task, empowered by the same Holy Spirit, and the gospel goes forth, and he uses some of the most, like, unfaithful people to do it. I mean, think of Peter, right? Peter that, that denied Christ three times, just, just days prior, weeks prior. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit falls on Peter, the same, the same Peter that denied his Lord and just gave up entirely didn't even want to associate with Jesus. The Holy Spirit falls on him, and Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, goes out to the balcony of the upper room, and he preaches this sermon. And 17 different languages hear it in their language. That's a God thing. I don't know if you know that. Peter, the Galilean fisherman, not a preacher, preaches this sermon. 17 different languages hear him, and 3,000 people come to know Jesus in an instant. I mean, this is radical. This is how the book starts. This is actually the verse before what we just read. Look at verse 41, Acts 2. This is the end of Peter's sermon. Those who, those who believed what Peter said, they were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. The church goes from 12 disciples, 11 disciples minus Judas, to 120 in the prayer meeting, to 3,000 being saved and baptized, and the church has begun and has not stopped since. And so what we get here in Acts 2, 42 through 47 is taking all of that, the church empowered by God, not knowing what they're doing, really. It's not like Peter had all this experience or the other guys had all this experience in ministry and they were awesome. They actually knew nothing they had just been with Jesus, but they were empowered by the Holy Spirit, and now it was time to be the church, quote unquote. Like to live out their faith in community as a people. 
that were redeemed, that believed in the risen Lord, that they saw the risen Lord. Now we're given the Holy Spirit and now we're to live their life for the glory of God and for his mission. And so we get a great picture of what the church is to look like and specifically what community is to look like. Before we kind of dissect that a little bit more, I want to speak to those of you in this room that have been hurt by the church, that have been hurt by like this type of thing, or you've been involved in community in this way or in a church in this way, and most likely leadership has hurt you or something has happened and you become jaded and disillusioned and you kind of lack trust in this anymore. And that isn't just uh, a you thing. A lot of us have dealt with that over the years, or we will encounter that over our time being a part and devoted to communities of believers. And I want to speak to you first and say, I'm sorry that that's happened to you. Being a pastor for a third of my life, um, I have experienced this. I've seen it. I've counseled. And I, I know, maybe not in a personal way, but in a very close, intimate way, what this can and has done to you. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry that's happened to you. I'm sorry that you've had to experience that. And I'm sorry that because of whatever's happened to you, you look at something like Acts 2, or when we talk about the church or community and what it's supposed to be like, sorry that you may lack trust in it or kind of be disillusioned to if this can really happen well. The first thing, being in ministry for a long time, I will say is that the church is a really messy place. And pastors are fallible, and they make messes, and they make mistakes. And if you're here, and you feel this way, um, I'm glad you're here. I, I really am glad you're here. And that's, that's the beauty, in, in some ways, of new church plants in cities. Because it gives you kind of a little bit of a fresh start. A little bit of just like a start over of um, a place that you can get back into that you just kind of can reconnect with Jesus again and be healed and be restored and to, um, and to come, quote unquote, baggage free, right? And what's neat about that is if you're here and you feel that way, I'm glad you're here because God has just done this really cool thing at the church that I came out of, Reality Carpinteria. Reality Carpinteria that I talked about in announcements um, started in 2003 and for the last 15 years has had this really neat, incredible like calling or, or God's had this really amazing thing on it, this prophetic thing that he just brings the most messed up people from ministry to the church. I mean, people that have been fully involved in ministry, pastors, church planners that have become disillusioned, jaded or over the church. And what he's done is he's brought them and people have just been able to sit and just reconnect with the Lord and be refreshed and come back to a good spot with the Lord and, and allow the Lord to minister to them and bring them back to a good spot when it, anything refers to church. And it's been a place where over the years, God's just done radical things, really like restorative things, healing work in people's hearts that I've just kind of just been like, I'm over this thing called the church. I'm over this thing that, that men try to do called gospel-centered community or whatever it is. 
And what's neat is, um, I pray that God would do the same here. I believe he is. I believe that he desires to. I believe that, and I really pray, and I genuinely do pray, that you would fall madly in love with Jesus and his bride, the church, once again. I've seen that. I've heard a little bit. I, I, I sense God doing that in the same way. And I want to just say, I'm glad you're here, and I'm genuinely praying that you just sit and have God minister to you and just come back to that, play, that, sim simplicit, that, that simple place of you and Jesus when it comes to him and his church. And so please, like, come, be, and just sit with the Lord. What's funny is for me, when it comes to me and the church, it's actually quite the opposite. Like, I love the church. I always have. And I'm not just saying that because I have to because I'm here and I'm a pastor. It's just been this uh, funny thing that God, it's an amazing thing. It's not funny, but it's, it's also it is. Because on Easter last Sunday, I shared part of my testimony. If you hear, the first thing that I said to the people praying for me when I gave my life to the Lord was, I want Jesus, but does that mean I have to go to church now because I don't want to do that? At 12 years old, it's like, I want Jesus. I want what he has for me. I, yes, 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 amen, pray for me, but I don't want to go to church. I don't want to do that. I don't want to spend my Sunday mornings doing that. I just don't want when it, anything around church. I don't want it. But once I gave my life to the Lord, Jesus started what he always does, a radical, transformative work in our lives, right? He radically changes us. He changes our values and our thoughts and our intentions, and he begins to just make us like him. And I began to attend church and get involved in community and serving at the church, junior high, high school, college age is what I'm talking about. And it changed my life. Like when I saw church, I mean the people of God, you know, the church can meet in a church building or they don't have to, right? The church are the people of God gathered around and living for Jesus. When I was involved with that group of people gathered around Jesus, like I couldn't wait to go to church. Like I pretty much lived at church, get off school, go to church, just hang out, see who was there, help with anything I could. Would always want to hang with Christians, would always want to serve in any way. And I filled my time with Bible studies, and, and, and early morning, late night, I convinced Britt, who started reality, he was a college pastor at the time, I was 16, I convinced him, I begged him to let me go to the college group on Friday nights. It was 18 to 30 only, no exceptions, and I just kept begging him, like, can I please come, because I want more of Jesus. And he let me, and it was awesome. Um, and I was just hungry, and I was so, everything. You know, I mean, if you didn't guess already, I'm really extroverted, if you didn't guess that. <laughs> so for me, it was even more of that. But being a pastor for the last 12 years, so God called me into ministry like pretty early, 21, and being a pastor for the last 12 years, as much drama and hurt and jadedness that I've seen and experienced and been there and counseled and how do people leave the church, I mean, all of the above, seen it, been involved in it. As much as I've been a part of that, I still see the church and have seen the church in all her glory. Like, and seen her function in amazing, incredible ways. 
And I'm like the church's biggest fan. I really am. And I know that like so many churches have so many problems. So do we. You are not going to go to a church that doesn't have issues and doesn't mess up and doesn't fall. But I see God's plan in it. I see his purpose. And I've witnessed firsthand the fruit and the power of when God's people gather around Jesus. And like he's the cornerstone, he's the pastor, it's for his glory and it's for his kingdom. And when we remove ourselves and come under that and we gather and we go, I mean, it is the most powerful thing on the face of the planet when the church gets together and is on mission for Jesus. And I don't know if you've seen this, but this is, it's incredible. It's incredible to be a part of gospel-centered community. And I know that for all of you right now, that's maybe not the feeling that you have, but I pray that God would do a new work, a refreshing, healing work, that we would get to the place where we see his church as the bride of Christ and how beautiful it is, even though it's very flawed. Jesus loves it more than anything. And I got, I've gotten a glimpse into why I think it's good because, because we as people are designed to be in community. And it's because of who God is, right? God is a relational God. And because God is, we are to also be a relational people. And we know that God's a relational God because of his nature, because of God's nature. See, we believe in the Trinity, Right, that God is three in one, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These are three distinct people, but one in essence. See, God is living in relationship and in community eternally. And even in the book of Genesis, chapter 1, very first page of the Bible, in Genesis 1.26, when God is making man, he says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. Who's us? Let us. God said, let us. That doesn't make sense. He's talking about the Trinity. Himself in three persons. When we were made, when Adam was made by God, his design was that Adam, humanity, would be made in God's image, and God's image is a relational God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We were created in God's image as a relational Communal people. So by nature, we're to be a relational people and function in community as he is. Like that is our nature. Well, I just do better on my own. I am not extroverted like you are. I am very introverted and I do better without people. No, you need that alone time. I get it. Absolutely. That is, that is good and right for you. Me, I don't really need that. But no, just kidding. I need I need some of it. I do need some of it. It's good and right. But, but we were created to do life with other people and be relational and in community. And not only that, Genesis 1, but as you read on in Genesis, right, God makes everything and everything is wonderful. I mean, it's amazing. And he makes Adam and he looks around and everything is extremely good, but there's one, like, big problem. Adam is not doing well on his own. Not anything of all creation can make him okay. I mean, this is a pure world without sin, and it's just immaculate. It's before any of us have messed it up. 
And there's nothing in all of creation that can, that can make him okay because he was made to be with people. See, God made Adam, and out of all creation, there was something missing, and that thing missing was another human being. See, we're not made to do life alone. And as image bearers and in creation, we're to do life in relationship and in community. And as we move through the Old Testament, we see that God always sets up a place for his people to come and meet with him and worship him. Right? When they were wandering through the wilderness, it was kind of a mobile tent, so to speak. It was the tabernacle. But they always, always carried it and they always set it up. And there was always time and place for God's people to meet with God. Then after the tabernacle, it was the temple. It was the permanent place where God's people could meet with God. Right? There was this gathering place. There was this point of reference in time and place where God's people would connect and commune with their God. And what we see in the book of Acts is that it moves on to the church. And we read Acts chapter 2. It's now the people of God organizing and gathering around Jesus. And what we see logistically that happens in the book of Acts is that there's really two spaces they meet. One refers to the temple, which is like a large gathering where everyone comes and everyone travels to. And then, and then it says that they meet in homes. These are smaller homes around Jerusalem, around that uh, Israel at that time. And that there was, there was more that happened there. There was different things that happened in those smaller gatherings than in those larger gatherings. But both had their purpose. Both were necessary. It didn't say you should have one and out the other. It just said this is what they did and this was good and this is the purpose of those two things. And Sundays would be like the large gathering for the church or the large gathering for us. And there, it's, it's, it's meant to be very purposeful and powerful. Sundays are to be a time of celebration and unification. Meaning, we gather on Sundays so that we as God's people can worship God. And celebrate who he is and learn from his word and dig into his word. And what that does when we all gather together, it's very unifying. We become a people of one mind and one accord. We know who we're worshiping and what we're to do. And it unifies us and it also is a time of celebration. And much traditionally of a Sunday or a large gathering in the church consists of the preaching of the word and of corporate musical worship. There's other things we do. Like the reason why we do announcements is because it's when the most people are gathered together so that we can involve and share what God is doing so that you can be unified and included into it. Right? And there's other things we do. We take communion and, um, you know, fellowship with one another. But mainly the purpose of Sunday mornings is the preaching of the word and of corporate musical worship to not only celebrate, but to unify the church. But outside of Sundays can and should be where much of the functioning of the body of Christ is played out. See, church is more than just Sundays. We've made it in Western culture, when we say church, we mean a building on Sunday mornings. That is not what the Bible says. That's not what, that's not what Christianity is to be like. 
it's good and right that we join together on Sunday mornings. That is a part of what the church is to be like, but much of what we see in Scripture actually probably better happens outside of the Sunday morning in more smaller settings or in smaller groups. It's because there's the ability in those smaller gatherings to be more vulnerable, get to know people, to pray for one another, to share needs and to meet needs. There's a lot that can happen when you just have a bit more time with someone one-on-one, and you get that. Right, we get that. Other than if you come early and you talk to someone or that little meet and greet or like if you hang out after, that's the only time you're actually not sitting and maybe listening or, or engaging in worship, right? There's not even a whole lot of time for all this other wonderful stuff to happen, right? For gifts to be exercised and more time to minister. But that's okay. Sundays are purposeful and powerful, but there's more. There's more to the church. And what I'm excited to do is announce that we're going to be starting community groups uh, the week of May 1st. And it's, it's really exciting. We're going to be calling these groups Ohana groups. Um, I'll tell you why in a second. But what we see from Scripture is that the church is made up of the people of God, and we're called brothers and sisters in Christ. Right? And we're supposed to function in, in a tight-knit relationship with one another centered around Christ. Like, we are the family of God as believers. We're brothers and sisters. We have a heavenly Father. We are a family. We're a body of believers centered around Christ. And there may not be a better word for a community group in our context here in Hawaii than Ohana. And what that means culturally, but then coming, but then adapting that to the family and the person of Jesus. That we're to be an ohana that is, that is under the lordship of Christ, intending to function as a family for his glory. I believe the idea of ohana group encompasses what the family of God is to be like. And it gives us a good framework to strive for and to cultivate. I think the heart behind these groups and why we would do them, not only do we see a place in Scripture where we should should have these, but the heart or vision of Ohana groups are, are these are communities that are meant to cultivate a deep and growing relationship with Jesus and with one another. Like it's a place where we can cultivate a growing and deep relationship with Jesus and each other. And it's a place that we can do life together as a family. Because life does not just consist of a bunch of joy all the time, right? It consists of sorrow as well. We all have really heavy stuff going on. There's difficulties. There's hardships. There's, there's things we're going through in our lives. And we were not to, meant to go through those things alone. You were not meant to bear that burden by yourself solely. You were meant to do life in community as God is a relational God. And so we're going to be kind of announcing these for the next few weeks. You can actually go online to realityhonolulu.com. Um, do I got a picture up here? We got like a, uh, we just sneaked a button in there last night. So if you go on our website, it says Ohana Groups. You can read more about it. There's a map. There's a list of um, the, the few groups that we're they're having. There's a few groups to start with 
as time goes on, the heart and the plan is to add more in different areas of town, windward side, more areas of Oahu. But the hope and goal is for these groups to really consist of what we see from the book of Acts and from the New Testament. Not just to start a program to start a program. That's actually the opposite of what we do here at Reality. We're probably not going to have a lot of programs. Um, that's just because that's not a part necessarily of our DNA. But our heart is to be in line with Scripture, be led by the Holy Spirit in his timing to do what he has us do. And so we believe that it's right and good that we start these groups now. And our hope and goal is for these groups to be a place where we can go deep with each other we still gather on Sundays, we still worship, we still celebrate, we still hear the word, we're still unified. But then we can gather together and we can have smaller group gatherings where God can really meet us. And there's three things that the heart and prayer uh, that these groups would be. There's three, there's three categories, you could say, that, that we want them to be. Number one is worship and adoration that these groups would be a place where we worship and adore Jesus. Number two is that these groups would be a place where we, uh, God cares and we care for each other and we get equipped. We grow and we learn and we, and we mature. And number three is mission, that we, from those groups, would go on mission into the world, into our workplaces, and where we would be used by God and it would come out of those groups. Our hearts, that, that would, we'd worship and adore the Lord, that we'd care and equip and mission. I want to speak to each of those just real quick and kind of, kind of wrap it up, tie it up a little bit. But just to give you a bit more vision, because I would love if you would consider signing up. I'd love for you to join them. I'd love for us to be the body of Christ and to engage. And as the books of, book of Acts would say, it says in verse 42, all the believers devoted themselves to these things. Like it wasn't just the apostles or just the disciples. It wasn't just the pastors or the leaders. It was that believers in the church all together like devoted themselves to these things. It really takes a group effort because we're all in the body of Christ. But first and foremost, not only Sundays, but specifically these smaller group gatherings is that we would worship and adore the Lord, right? We were created to worship. That's why we gather. We gather around Jesus and for Jesus, right? He's the center. He's the cornerstone. He's our prize and he's our joy. And the heart is that when we gather midweek, that Christ would be exalted and glorified during that time. It may just consist of that night, may consist of potluck dinner, kind of some fellowship, maybe like people share what's going on, we pray for one another, but all of that would be to the glory of God, right? We wouldn't just gather because we should, and this is good that we gather, but we would gather around Jesus for Jesus, and that all we do in these groups would worship the Lord. But also that we, as a, as a church, would be cared for and equipped. I mean, there's over 50 verses in the New Testament alone how we as the church are supposed to minister, minister to one another. Not how the pastor or the leaders are supposed to, but actually how the church is supposed to care for one another. 
Examples of this would be sharing needs, meeting needs, bearing burdens, encouraging one another, praying for one another, and the list goes on. But I believe the church, and especially small groups, can be the greatest vehicle for discipleship. Right? Small groups can, uh, like this can be the catalyst of, our, of growth in our lives to mature and grow in Christ, to become more like him, to be sanctified. And what's neat is, is this is where the church can be the church. Like where gifts can be exercised, where we can speak prophetic words over each other, we can pray for each other to get healed, we can, we can encourage one another, we can stir one, spur one another on towards love and good deeds. I mean, small groups is, is giving a space to that. And not only out of that worship and that care, but mission can come from that. See, we aren't only meant to be insular or in a bubble, right? Only Sundays and only community groups and that's it and we never are in the world and just try to like get out of the world as much as you can. But we're actually supposed to be in the world and just not of it. We're supposed to go and make disciples. And once we're cared for and equipped, we're called and commissioned to go and make disciples, Right, Ohana groups are to be a place that you can be sent out from, back to work, back to your family, back into the world to proclaim the good news of Christ. I'd love to see Ohana groups be a place where we care for, pray for, and serve the neighborhood that we meet in. Right, that we aren't just like this little group of Christians in that house on Tuesday nights, but that we are a people in that neighborhood that pray for that neighborhood that care about the neighbors and where you just parked, that cared the speed that you just drove down the road to get there because you were late, that we would be the church in those areas for his glory, that we'd be aware and so into that community in which we meet. The purpose why I'm, I'm, I'm taking some of this sermon right now and making like a really long announcement and why you should all be in Ohana groups is because <laughs> I am doing that. You didn't notice. I believe that according to scripture, there is such value in smaller groups of communities in the church. And it doesn't mean that Ohana groups now at Reality Honolulu is the answer to all of life's problems. It's just a spot, a place, an intentional place where we're providing for you. It doesn't mean that you can't have another community to do that. For years and years, I wasn't in community group, ohana group, home group type of places, but I had a community. I had a smaller community where this happened, and so that was okay for me. But specifically for those of you that do not have that, you don't have a community. You don't have someone to pray for. You don't have someone to share needs. You don't have a place where this can happen. This would be a great place for you to get involved in. At the end of the day, we just want to make space to be intentional for God to move in our midst and through us for his glory. I want to ask you to join with us that we pray that God meets us in a deep, powerful way as, a new, as these new, smaller communities form midweek. Right, that God would continue to meet us on Sundays the way he has. It's been really, really amazing how he's met us. But that during this new season that we would pray that God would do that in the smaller gatherings. And to close, I'm going to close with Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verses 23 through 25. Before we get into it, give a little context. 
the author right now is writing to Christians that don't know if they can go on. They're under incredible persecution and hardship, and there's a lot against them, and life is really hard, and it's really difficult to follow Jesus. You may not be under persecution or a fear of death right now, but from what I know from all you guys' lives, there's some aspect or there's a lot of aspects that makes life hard. It's busy, it's difficult, and it would just be easier sometimes to not follow the Lord, to not obey, to not be in community, right? There's all the reasons why. But this letter is written to a group just like us believers that are in fear of wavering at moments. So this is what the author said, Hebrews 10, to end our time. It says, let us, believers, hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting meeting together. As is the habit of son, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. God's word would encourage us as busy and as crazy and as full as life is. Do not neglect meeting together with other believers. So church, let's be a people about God's word filled with his Holy Spirit, caring for one another on mission. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this new season that you have us in as a local expression of your church. But thank you, Lord, that this, this idea is not a new one. This is something your church has been doing for thousands of years. And Lord, to be according to your word, to obey your word, we want to be a people also that engage in relationship and community with one another. And God, I pray that each of us, that you would use for your glory to encourage one another, to uplift one another, to, to meet needs of one another. God, we pray a covering over this season as we encounter and, and, and dig into home groups, ohana groups. We ask that you'd continue to knit us together as a family of believers under your lordship. God, we want to be a people that are devoted to the things of God. And so, God, would you help us? Would you change our hearts? Would you, would you help us to, to grab hold of these truths in Scripture and to walk in them? And God, we worship you now because you're worthy of it. You are a God that is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You are faithful. There's no shadow in your turning. That as much as we can go through in life, that you are the same. You're good. You're perfect. You're holy. You love us. You'll do anything for us. You are a generous, sacrificial God, and so we worship you now for those things, for the ways in which you've moved in our own lives, for your death and your resurrection, that we are a people that are forgiven and set free, and you've made us new creations. There, the list goes on of why we worship you now. We get, pray that you get all the glory and all the credit. 
pray this in Jesus' name, amen.